0: We're going to open our Bibles to Joshua chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, excuse me, if you don't have a Bible uh, with you and you need to borrow one, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. If you have a Bible, uh, maybe at home or something, maybe one that you can't read and understand, you can get one of those and take it with you. So borrow it if you need to borrow it, have it if you need to have it. Uh, It is our gift to you, and we would be glad to do that. Joshua chapter 20 and 21 is where we're going to be today. Some people say, and they've asked even... uh, you know, the, the storyline of Joshua really kind of hits the brakes. We're pushing pretty hard through some great stories, Jericho falling down and all that stuff, um, pushing through some great stories. Uh, and then in chapter 13, last week's text, it really kind of creeps. It just comes to a crawl because you got all these geography things and that kind of thing. Well, and why do we why do we do? Why do we, you know, talk about all of that stuff too? And the answer is one, it's God's word. So we want to be responsible to teach it. But secondly, uh, on occasion, um, as we're studying and as we're looking, as we're thinking, man, you know, it can really speak to us. And that's what I hope is going to happen this morning. And um, when I was maybe, I want to say 17, I think I was 17. I was thinking about this in between the services. I think I was 17. If not, I was 18. The lady uh, from the attendance office at my uh, high school called, and um, she said, hey, listen, uh, our, our pastor is out Sunday. Would you like to come preach at our church and I said sure I would I'm 17 years old I've got all sorts of things to say it was a disaster of epic proportions the story of which I will say for another day but the deal is is that I said can you remind me where your church is she said well it's out near Richards anybody Richards Texas that's exactly right thank you Uh, So, from Huntsville, where I grew up, you go west on Highway 30, like you're going to College Station, and right when you hit the Walker County Fairgrounds, you turn south on 1791, farm-to-market 1791, mind you, Uh, two lanes, no shoulder, and you come down to where it hits the only stop sign on 1791, which is farm to market 149, two lanes, no shoulder, uh, and you turn left and go about four miles, and you're just driving along, and it's woods and forests and woods and forests kind of in the middle of the Sam Houston National, and all of a sudden, cut out of this, right on the curve, cut out of this little section of forest is Union Grove Baptist Church, and I promise you, if you're not ready for it, and might be a teenager thinking you're going to be late and driving a little faster than normal, I might be able to speak to this from experience. You will pass it and have to turn around on the no-shoulder two-lane road to come back to it because it just appears out of nowhere. And you think to yourself, with all of the stuff around here, why is there a church right here? This is such a, for me, it was such a strange place to find church. Crazy. Right out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, It's not always, in fact, church, sometimes, it's not always where you think it either could be, should be, or whatever. It's just where it is. It's a strange place to find it. And then yesterday... Uh, Friday night, made a phone call to one of our guys. I said, hey, um, you know, I got this stuff in the backyard that may require a little expertise. Uh, and I hear you're the guy with the expertise and a machete. Uh, so could could you come over and help me and show this? And so Saturday morning, um, I'm up and moving around. And all of a sudden, a dude shows up with a machete, which, you know, that's a strange occurrence in and of itself. But then, you know, he makes his way to my backyard and I'm all of a sudden looking out, and here's church happening right here, a guy with the machete getting after it. Church doesn't always look like you think it would. It's not always where you think it is, and it doesn't always look like you think it would, but it was church. It was church, and today in these two chapters, uh, I think we'll find something similar. Uh, maybe not where you think it would be. I, I never sought to, to find church in Joshua 20 and 21, but it's there, uh, and it may not look like you think it uh, should, but man, it's it's here. And so I want to get along here in Ch- Joshua chapter twenty. Let's start in verse one. <clears throat> we'll read the whole chapter of Joshua twenty and then just hit on a couple of highlights of twenty-one. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of those cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city, give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation um, for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town, in his own home, to the town from which he fled. Verse 7. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Rumman, and Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. Uh, Just let's catch up to speed here because, again, sometimes you get lost a little bit in some of the names and places and that kind of thing. Here's the deal. Uh, In Deuteronomy chapter 19, God speaks to Moses uh, and Moses then to the people and says, hey, when you get into the promised land, you need to set aside these cities of refuge. And here's what's going to happen. Uh, and he actually uses this example in about verse 5 of Deuteronomy 19. He says, let's say two guys are out chopping wood in the forest. And uh, one guy, his, the axe head flies off his axe handle and strikes the other guy in the head. It's a bad day, right? Are you with me on that? And, you know, setting comedy aside, seriously. Has anybody ever been a part of something where uh, some tragedy has happened and, you know, it, it just unfolded? Can you imagine being the guy who's there chopping wood and all of a sudden the axe head flies off, strikes the other guy in the head, and he dies, and now you've got to go tell his wife, now widow, this. You've got to go deliver the news. And then you have to kneel down and tell his kids, hey, I'm sorry your daddy is dead. I mean, this is a terrible thing. It's a horrible thing. And so uh, in the midst of that, with the funeral that follows and all the other stuff that's going to follow with that, in the midst of that, what would happen often is extended relatives, uh, extended family of the person who was slain would often sit around and they'd be frustrated, they'd be angry. This is part of the grieving process. And in the middle of their frustration and anger, they would want revenge because the law of the land was an eye for an eye. And tooth for a tooth, right? And so what would they do? They would rise up and pursue after the guy and seek to bring uh, uh, justice, if you will, for the family by, by exchanging a life for a life. That's the context, okay? Deuteronomy 19, this is the context of chapter 20. And um, the thing I want to point out is God has set aside a safe place, but these folks, we would call it manslaughter or something along that line. And It's not murder. There's no intention. There's no ill will. There's no hating him before. It's, it's accidental death. Um, and So what we're talking about here is this kind of safe place. What does a safe place look like? Let's just roll it back here. Start back in verse 3 and just see if we can identify a couple of things. First of all, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. A safe place looks like a place to flee when you're in trouble. Anybody ever made a wreck of their life and need a refuge? Where you just, I mean, for whatever reason, accident or some other thing has happened, maybe something happened to you or you did something to somebody else and you're like, all I want to do is just get away. Remember the Southwest Airlines commercials? Want to get away? Bing! You remember that? This is that moment. This is that moment where you're like, oh, I'll, all I want to do, all I want to do is get away. A safe place provides, provides a place to flee uh, when you're in trouble. And I know nobody in here gets in trouble. I know nobody, but just this is what God's providing. Verse 4, uh, <clears throat> he shall flee to one of these cities and he shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. A safe place not only gives you a place to flee when you're in trouble, it also gives you a place to be heard. And how many of our situations and circumstances and emotional um, rumblings and stuff, how many of those would change if we were simply heard? And let me ask you this, just as people who are going to have conversations this week, important conversations this week with, with spouses and with kids and with coworkers and with friends and with family and that kind of thing, how many of their circumstances and how many of their emotional rumblings would change if they were just heard? They were just heard. You I may mean, look, sat across a table at Starbucks or chips and salsa or whatever, and you just looked them in the eye and you said, "Hey, tell me about this," and then you gave them a chance to be heard. Let's say place to place where you heard. Verse five. <clears throat> And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. A safe place is a place that offers appropriate protection, appropriate protection. Uh, that would be something along the lines of, in this case, the elders of the city, um, they, you know, when the avenger, the person who's going to strike back, uh, when this person comes, they're saying, hey, no, 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 we're not going to do that here. That's not going to happen. We're not giving this person up. Oh, this is not going to, you're not here. That's not right. It's an appropriate protection. Um, if not an inappropriate protection, right? They're not harboring some fugitive in that sense. Uh, they're giving protection to somebody who's innocent. Uh, because as it says here, they sh- it was unknowing and there was not hate uh, from the past. Uh, fourth thing about this safe place. This is a place that accepts your baggage. Look at verse 6. He shall remain in that city until he stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who's the high priest at the time. Just When it says remain in that city... How many of you grew up in small towns, like 3,000 or fewer? This is what we're talking about, okay? I mean, a city was, you know, a couple of thousand people. Now, did you know everybody in your city? Basically, yes. Did you know their story? Yes. Did you know their stuff? Yes. I mean, that's part of living in a small town. And everybody knew your stuff too. That's kind of how that went. So when you read the word city, don't think Houston, okay? We can get lost in 6 million people. We're talking about a very, very small community of people people where you're known. And so here's the deal. Uh, you would be walking through town. If you were the person who had fled there, you'd be walking through this city, and they go, oh, there you go. Hey, you're the guy with the axe head thing, right? Oh, sorry, man. And what would they do? They, just, they embrace you with your baggage. You got all the stuff that, that comes along. They embrace you. And then repeating verse 6 is down in verse 9, last thing about this. These were the cities designated, verse 9, these were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Um, This is a place where cycles are broken. Uh, And here's what I want to say about this. Uh, Again, because of the nature of the situation, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life, A person's out again chopping wood or didn't, uh, you know, put the ox uh, in the yoke appropriately and they got out and, you know, the ox got out and gored somebody or whatever it may be. Um, and, And so the immediate response from the extended family, in fact, Deuteronomy 19 uses this phrase, hot anger. If they in hot anger pursue this person. Anybody ever felt that before? Hot anger? Yeah. So. They would come up and they would pursue this person and they would say eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life, and they would kill that person. Except whatever, this inevitably happens. You don't have to think very hard or work very hard and and just figure out what's happening. The person who's coming for revenge always does it, not just to this level, but always one notch up. Am I right about that? Hello? Am I, you with me on that? Everybody who gets revenge wants to make sure that they send the message back. Here's the deal. So this person has this accident, and it kills this person's brother. And then this person rises up, and he comes over, and he kills this person. And then what's this guy's family going to do? Oh, oh, you didn't, just, you didn't just avenge blood, man. I mean, like, you did some really bad stuff. And so what, what are they going to do? They're going to rise up, and they're going to come. And all of a sudden, you've got Hatfields and McCoys happening here in Joshua 20, right? This is the issue. And so you've got this cycle of striking and revenge and striking and revenge and striking and revenge. And what does God provide for the people of Israel to, um, to have that will break that cycle? A city of refuge, a safe place. And some think, well, this doesn't seem very fair, shouldn't they have their day? And it does, twice, in verse 6 and in verse 9. It talks about standing before the congregation, that there would be this judgment that they'd come down. So I mean, they would have their day, and until then, they were basically under house arrest. But what this does is it provides the ability to break this cycle of striking and revenge and striking and revenge. And a safe place ought to be the kind of place that breaks the cycles, the sin cycles in our lives too whatever they may be. Um, uh, addictions, or, uh, uh, you know, I just, I can't help but respond in this kind of anger pattern, or whatever We would break. A safe place is a place where cycles can be broken. Um, the, the primary marker, when you're looking for a safe place and trying to understand what it looks like, the primary marker uh, that you're after here is compassion. Compassion. Anybody Uh, grow up in the South and ever hear somebody, uh, sweet old ladies typically, not to pick on sweet old ladies, but this is typically what some news would come in and they would just look to the heavens and go, oh, mercy. Anybody have that happen before? This is essentially that. It's this kind of heartfelt, Godward direction of compassion. Oh, mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. It's this plea for mercy. And indeed, a safe place provides that kind of compassion, that kind of mercy for a person uh, who might need it. So that's chapter 20, is this idea of a safe place. Now, don't get lost here uh, because the, chapter 21 picks up, and what happens is the tribe of Levi, who are the priestly tribe, uh, the people who are designated by God to represent him to the people, um the, the tribe of Levi didn't have any, uh, any lands specifically given to them. So, you know, remember, uh, you know, all of these others, they got their own zip code, right? You know, Dan lived up here and Gad lived over here and Naphtali lived over here and Judah lived over here and all these places. They had kind of their own zip codes. Levi was not designated like that. Levi because it was the priestly tribe was going to be a scattered people. In other words, they were going to get cities in each of the tribes so they would be among each of the tribes. So that this is what happens uh, in in the first uh, about 34 or so verses, 35 verses of chapter 21 is that um the Lord through Lot's um the people of Israel cast lots, and they're like, okay, this group of Levites, Levites, you get to go over here with the tribe of Judah, and this group of Levites, you get to go over here um, with the tribe of Dan, and this group of Levites, you get to go over here, and that's essentially the first several verses of chapter 21. Here's what I want you to do. Skip down to verse 41. This is the part I don't want you to miss. Chapter 21, verse 41. The cities of the Levites, don't miss this phrase. In the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasture lands. These cities each had its pasture lands around it. So it was with all these cities. So for every tribe, four different cities were, were um, specified for the Levites, the people, the priestly people of God. So Levi lived among the people who needed to know who God is and what he required. And I'll just give you two um, characteristics about this. Number one, Uh, they were, these cities were assigned by God. These cities were assigned. So when we talk about a scattered people, this is not just kind of taking something and throwing it up in the air and seeing what happens. Like these cities were specifically assigned by God. Um, When you see, again, the first several verses, first 30-ish verses of of chapter 21, you see, and this lot fell to this, and this lot fell to this group, and this lot fell to this group. None of this is happening by by random chance. In fact, God planned for all of this, and then He gave them a place. And this sounds a lot like what we talked about last week, Acts 17. God has set the boundaries for you, and for me, and for nations where people live and given them an appointed time that they should seek God. So in this case, God had planned for them all the way from Exodus onward. God was planning and saying, make sure that the Levites get a city. Make sure the Levites are scattered among the people. Make sure that the Levites have place of possession among the people. And indeed, here they are in the midst, it says, in the midst of the possession. God planned for them and then he gave them a place. Why did he do this though? Why? I I think it's because you know light is not just supposed to shine brightly; it's also supposed to be shine broadly. Not just a brief example in here. If we took all of these wonderful lights up ahead and we we collected them all in the center, right here, and just dropped like right there, just right there in the center, right, what would we have? We have some very tan, good-looking people right here, right, (laughs) right. And then what would you have back in that corner over there? Maybe not darkness, but at least shadows right? Uh, Maybe where you kind of have to look and go, what is that? Why? Because light is is supposed to shine brightly, that's true, but it's also supposed to shine broadly. The reason we spread these out is so that everybody can see, so that people can see. And in this case, uh, if God were to collect all of the Levites, all of these priestly people of God into one particular space, that would be a very, very bright place where God is represented, but... You'd have questions over here and shadows over here and wonderings and quandaries over here and doubts and problems over here. You would have kind of these darker spaces. And so God disperses them. He scatters them so that the lights would shine not just brightly, but also broadly. So these places, they were assigned. Secondly, they were different. They were different. Meaning, the Levites—they were the priestly tribe. They were the people of God who were the priests of God, and those who—they were the people who met with God and then showed God to the people. They took His presence with them and they portrayed Him um, accurately. The primary marker in this particular, when you're thinking about scattered people and you're thinking about the Levites, the primary marker is the marker of clarity. If safe places were about compassion, a scattered people is about clarity, that they would see exactly who God is. They would see a picture of who God is, and they would understand from the law what he required of them. That's why God sent them out. That's why the lights were shining in those places. They would be shining uh, and people could see. So you've got a safe place um, that's marked by compassion, and you've got a scattered people that's marked by clarity. And then I got to thinking, safe place and a scattered people, safe place and a scattered people, safe place and a scattered people. That sounds a lot like church. So here we are, Joshua 20 and 21, it's a strange place to find church, but that's, that's what you see there. When you have a safe place and a scattered people, that sounds a lot like church. So let's just briefly try to break this down here, and then we'll celebrate communion together. First of all, uh, when we talk about this sounding like church, when we talk about church being a safe place, you and I are given by God this task to be some of the most welcoming people on the planet. I mean, that our arms would be the widest, open, most embracing, um, so excited to see you, really glad you're here. I mean, this kind of thing. And not just in this building. If we're only friendly and compassionate in this building, that's a problem. When you're you're one way in here and one way out there. You know what they call that? A hypocrite. That's bad. So uh, here, I mean, God has given us to be the most embracing people, the safe place. We would be some of the most welcoming people on the planet. From Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Get that verse up, toves. Romans 15, 7. This is what it says. Listen to this. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So just to be clear, How did Jesus welcome you for the glory of God? Did he come along to you and say, oh, listen, you're such a nice person, such a wonderful person, I really like your haircut, and you have some great shoes. Come on in, you're my kind of people. Is that what he did? How about this one? Oh, man, look, your life is a wreck, and you stink like bad. And you had not brushed your teeth in I don't know how long. Go get yourself cleaned up. Take a shower, um, you know, uh, uh, brush your teeth. Get your world together. Get your world together, and then you can come back and have that conversation. Is that what he did? How did Jesus take you? Did he take you cleaned up and and all together? No. No, he didn't. Um, Did he take you uh, as someone who was so valuable? No. How did he take you? Just as you are. Welcome one another. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. How did he welcome you? Just as you are. Therefore, we get to do what? We get to welcome other people just as they are. Just as they are. And we get to do so to the glory of God. To be clear here, our compassion does not mean compromise. That's not what we're talking about. Um, We're not going to compromise, but we're going to welcome them. Uh, We can welcome them in their brokenness and then call it what it is. Is it wrong or rude or ugly or whatever to say that I'm wearing a blue shirt? Anybody? You may not like my blue shirt. You may not. But it's not wrong to say I'm wearing one. And indeed, when we embrace people and say, listen, hey, we're really glad you're here and I see that you're a broken person. That's not rude or ugly. That's not judgmental to say, hey, I see that you're wearing a blue shirt. It's, it just is what it is. And we can do that because we can call out, if you will, their brokenness because our brokenness has been called out. That's one of the things that brought us to Jesus in the first place is that our brokenness has been called out. And we're not guilty of swinging axe in the axe um, uh, in the forest and our axe head flying off. We're not guilty of manslaughter, folks. We're guilty of treason. It's way worse than an accidental thing. We have intentionally, we have um, um, consistently, we have even addictively at times um, taken on our sin and just gone on and, on and on and on and on and on with it. And Jesus steps into our world and goes, you're broken. And we're like, e, you're right. You're right. And we're, tra- we're traitors to him. And yet, how did he do? He embraced us. And so we look at people in their brokenness, and we say, welcome. We're glad you're here in all of your brokenness. This is not compromise. This is not compromise. This is Jesus through us embracing people. We can say it with clarity because we uh, our, our brokenness was revealed to us. Secondly, we can say it with a sense of hope. We can say it with a sense of hope. Some people don't. They, they push back on this. Why? Because uh, you know, they think, again, you gotta, this is an issue of good and bad. Well, we need to, start, you, need to get you acting better. Christianity is not about what's good and what's bad. Christianity is about what's dead and what's alive. That's the message of Easter. And so we, as a people who've been forgiven of our sins and whose new life has been given to us by Jesus himself, we of all people should be so in touch with our brokenness and so in touch with the hope that Jesus gives. When we come to the communion table here in a minute, just remember, you and I were once barred from this because of what uh, was in our lives, and yet Jesus looked down on the wreck that was us, and he saved us. So when we experience forgiveness, when we experience new life, that becomes a source, an eternal source of hope that we can then dole out to others. We have that opportunity, so we get to be people who give Hope. We get to be people who give hope to others. Just remember this. When we think about safety, and when we think about the most welcoming people, nobody, nobody is ever so broken that Jesus can't heal them. Nobody. Even those who think that they're not broken, Jesus can heal them. And so you don't know a person I mean, you don't know a story. Your story is such that Jesus is not such. Excuse me, that Jesus can't kill you. This is the message of the gospel. I mean, if if He can come back from the dead, He can deal with your junk. Safe. We're the most welcoming people. Um, if we do the religion thing, you know, don't offer hope and don't. You know, we kind of do that thing—good, bad—instead of death and life. If we do that thing instead, um, what we get, what we earn ourselves, and rightly so, is a label. Uh, Whether well, they're bigoted or they're closed-minded or whatever. So, how do we make a appropriate uh, representation of God? How do we portray Him accurately to people and gain a hearing? And gain a hearing. And uh, Peter actually helps me here. The scattered people. How do we, as a scattered people, gain a hearing among those who are? That that God has sent us to. Peter helps me. So if you have your Bible, flip a a lot of pages to the right. I'm almost at the very, very back. If you're not familiar um, with kind of how the Bible lays out, um, I'm almost to the back and look for 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 14. I'm gonna wait until I hear pages quit turning because this is so good. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. I just make you this promise right here. There's not a person in here with that on a magnet on your fridge. Nobody teased that one up right there, but that's the truth. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. There's that compassion thing again. Having a good conscience... So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. How do we gain a hearing from these people? You live closely, you live close to them, and you live differently in the midst of them. See, everybody in here has gone through stuff. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now. So are your neighbors. So are your friends. The question is when you and I go through these things, do we live in such a way where we have hope, where we have that, hey, this circumstance is just a circumstance, this kind of perspective that says it's difficult? Yes. It's hard, yes. It is not exciting, yes. But I know that I've got something else that I'm living for, far beyond ease or comfort of my circumstances. I've got something else that I'm living for. And when you live that way, people walk up to you like, hey man, what did the doctor prescribe you? I need to know doctor didn't prescribe me anything. I'm just living in a story bigger than myself. Let me tell you about that story. Sanctify or set apart. Jesus is holy in your hearts is what it says. And be ready to give an answer um, to, the, to the hope. When they come and ask, be ready to give an answer. So how do you gain a hearing? You live closely to them. They're our neighbors, right? They're our neighbors both in locale and in spirit. Live closely and live differently. Just practically, what's that mean? You don't don a sandwich board and go walking down 528 or, you know, Bay Area, turn or burn, repent or perish, you know, God hates you or whatever you want. I mean, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, maybe one step closer to your reality. They did a survey recently. A hundred uh, rants on Facebook were surveyed, and you know exactly how many... Minds, they change zero. So, I mean, you know, maybe you don't go to Facebook and just put it all out there. That's, that's not the way to live closely and differently. Um, you know, the, the truth is, is that they're not looking to us anymore. And they're not even looking for us anymore. So you and I then get to be a part of something. We get to be a part of a conspiracy of, that God is uh, bringing about in the world where well, we get to live in the places where we have, the, the places that God assigns us, the places, if you will, the, the, the cities, if you will, in which God gives us, these dwelling areas. We get to live in those places, then we get to represent him and what he requires of people. That's a conspiracy to, to help people see that there is a life worth living that's bigger than just your existence. We get to portray God accurately to them. Now, as we said, you know, with scattered people, man, the the key thing is clarity. Issues in which we need clarity these days. You think about, you know, all the marriage and sexuality questions that are out there right now. God, we need clarity on this. And the Bible's very clear. You, You think about right now the issue of the role of government and the Christian's response to it. And furthermore, the character of leaders in positions. Do we need clarity on that, anybody at all? We need clarity. Our world needs clarity on that. Um, Do we think about, and and should you think about, uh, again, near, near and dear to our heart as a family, but just as a church, Speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves, specifically through things like orphan care, the foster system, this kind of thing. Does the world need a witness and clarity on a situation like that? Yes. Who better to do it than you and me, as the salt of the earth and the light of the world? And man, we need so much clarity on the gospel these days a real clear sense of what the good news is. Because the good news is not get yourself cleaned up and come to Jesus and if you're, in, if you're uh, clean enough and smell nice enough and put on the right kind of deodorant or whatever, wear the nice clothes or what, that, that somehow Jesus will accept you. You don't have to perform to get Jesus. That's not the gospel. Neither is it, if you believe the gospel, put your trust in Jesus, hey man, everything's always going to go up and to the right for you. Like everything's going to always just be perfect and wonderful, and your bank account's going to grow, and you'll always get the promotion, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we just read in 1 Peter, you just might suffer according to the will of God. The gospel is, come as you are to a Savior who is wrapping his arms around all sorts of broken people and he is transforming their lives through the forgiveness of sin that he purchased on the cross and the new life that he gives them through the resurrection. That's the gospel. So clear, so simple, and so beautiful. And Here's where these two things come together. When you read chapter 21, Here's what you would find. You would find that every city of refuge mentioned in chapter 20 became a city for the Levites, the priestly people of God to live in. So these two things intersected when the safe place also became the scattered people. In other words, the people who were supposed to represent God were the people who were going to be the safe places. Church family, listen to me. That's you. We're not dependent upon Levitical priests anymore and we're not dependent upon pastors anymore. That's you. You are the kingdom of priests. You are the holy nation. You are the royal priesthood chosen to live for God and represent God and tell of His excellencies like Peter says in chapter 2. You are those people. You get to be the safe place and you get to be the scattered people to everywhere that you go. A safe place because the gospel it's true and it, it offers forgiveness in new life and a scattered people because there are people out there who need to know that there is good news. Those two things intersect because every city of refuge became a city for the people, of the priests of God. We're going to come to the communion table in just a second. and Here's what I want you to do when we do. You get to remember. You get to remember that Jesus has provided a safe place for you. That not just wrapping his arms around all those other broken people, he has wrapped his arms around you. Nail-pierced hands are embracing you. He has dealt with your sin, and he has uh, forgiven you. You'll come and take the little wafer here. You'll remember that his body was broken. Your world doesn't have to be broken anymore because his body was broken. You remember, as you drink the little cup, you remember that the forgiveness that you experience is not purchased by anything that you've done. You've not made a sacrifice to get God on your side. Jesus has made a sacrifice to pay your debt and to provide and to purchase favor for you. The way that we do this is we'll have five tables around here. There's two in the back, two on the far sides, and one here in the middle. There'll be a deacon at each table ready to pray for you if you have something that we can pray with you about. And Frank and them are going to come up and sing, and here's the thing, when you're ready, you don't have to go fast. When you're ready, you and your family, maybe just you by yourself, but certainly you and your family can come, make your way here, take the elements, and then receive them when you're ready. If you have folks around you, a church family, who look like they either may need help getting there or may need the elements brought back to them, please make accommodations. for them, Okay, let me pray, and Frank's going to come up and lead us in some.